Hello and welcome to Fire Headlines, where we cover the hottest topics in fire service news. I'm your host, Samantha Didion, and today I am joined by the panel, Chief Bob Horton and Chief Jeff Buchanan. Also joining us today is a special guest from Fort Lauderdale Fire Rescue, Captain Jason Friedman. In October of 2023, Captain Friedman answered the call for help in Israel. He went on a two-week deployment and is joining Bob, Jeff, and I today to share his story. So, Captain, welcome to Fire Headlines. Thank you. Thank you. It's, a, it's an honor to be part of this. So, this deployment was part of the Emergency Volunteer Project. Can you tell us how you heard about this program and what inspired you to join? Sure. It started back in 2017. I can't remember specifically when, but I know it was uh, it was prior to August, and there's a key reason as to why I remember that. So, Emergency Volunteer Project uh, was invited by our department to come and host a training session. We became familiar with EVP, as we call it, and what they're all about. And, and basically, they're a, a program that was started after a series or a, an incident in Israel that took place approximately, I think, 15 years ago. I think it's the Mount Carmel fires, in which they had a, a shortage of uh, firefighters uh, for this uh, natural disaster that had taken place. And at that time, Israel, the fire service was represented by more or less like municipality type uh, fire departments. After this fire, there was determined a need for a national fire service. However, because of the amount of firefighters or lack of firefighters that Israel had uh, per capita and what is typically recommended, um, I think it's like one firefighter per 10,000 per capita. I think it ended up being like one per like 40,000. So in times of need, uh, whether it's natural disasters, uh, man-made disasters, terrorist attacks, war, and so forth, the program is geared towards um, obtaining uh, assistance from United States Fire Service and sending firefighters over to uh, to Israel to supplement their firefighters. So this happened in 2017, where EVP came to Fort Lauderdale, hosted a training facility or a training session, in which uh, myself and a number of others from our department, as well as surrounding departments, went through their training, which involved some classroom as well as uh, hands-on in regards to the way the Israeli fire service operates, their tactics, their equipment, pretty similar to the way the United States operates. However, they do things a little bit differently. Their trucks are obviously a little different. They're more European style. Their connections are quick connections. Uh, they don't have pre-connects. They have everything is in rolls. They use a lot of extended lines via, you know, gated wise or water thieves. So it took a little while for us to go through and adopt to the way that the Israeli fire service operates. So that was like three or four day session. We were then certified through the emergency volunteer project. We were supposed to, or I was supposed to go to Israel that following October. Uh, But unfortunately in August, I ended up having a heart attack while on shift, subsequently followed by bypass surgery. So there, there went my training session over in Israel. Since then, I really didn't have any opportunities to, uh, to go over there until you know, this tragic event unfolded on uh, October 7th. That's kind of what prompted getting involved in the first place and what had kind of transpired over the next six years till we got the October 7th incident. I put a pin in the in the heart attack piece because you just gloss, you know, glossed over, over that. Yeah, not a big deal. 
And uh, we're glad you're doing well. Uh, we're glad you're doing well from that. Uh, right. October 7th happens. You see it on the news. We all see it on the news, right? It's tragic. You have this unique connection to Israel already. Yes. You'll share with our audience you know, what, how are you feeling in that moment? Uh, it's my sense is there's this immediate call to duty. I have to go help. I'm prepared. I'm trained. I'm qualified. I have to go. Will you walk us through uh, that experience for you? Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, actually on shift Sunday, the, uh, the eighth and it, it, to be quite honest with you, it wasn't until I got to work it, and the news was on the uh, the TV and, and the our captain's office and talking to a couple of you know guys in the department uh, or at the station rather, did I even realize what was taking place? You know, I heard here and there that you know there were some you know attacks in Israel, but I, I didn't follow up on the news. I, I hate to say it, when I'm not at work and I'm at home, I rarely you know watch the news because. <laughs> Let's be honest. There's nothing really good that's ever, ever reported except the last you know one minute uh, at the end of the of the newscast about something you know that brings a smile to our face. Other than that, everything is just depressing. Nonetheless, uh, you know, I turned on the TV, saw what was going on. I didn't realize the the atrocities, for lack of better words, that were being committed, the heinous acts of uh, violence and terrorism that were taking place. And, you know, immediately, I think it was probably an hour after I had gotten to work, I started receiving emails and text messages from EVP in regards to the situation, what's taken place. They're kind of giving you a, a timeline on what had taken place in up to present time and then asking for the potential uh, deployment. If you're interested in deploying, uh, to sign up and so forth. And... I really didn't, I didn't think twice, uh, to be honest with you. In, in fact, I kind of, I don't regret it. The only thing I do regret is that I probably should have conversed with my wife first. And I didn't, um, <laughs> trust me, I heard about it thereafter. But I, I, nonetheless, I, I went and signed up for it. At that point, just because of the, the, the reality to what was going on, that there was going to be a likelihood that I would be deployed. And I didn't know what that time frame was. So I sent a letter through the chain up to Chief Golan, asking as far as giving him a heads up, basically, because over the six years, we've had a couple changes in our administration, including, you know, two or three fire chiefs since the initial fire chief that started with the EVP project. So I wanted to kind of make, you know, Chief Golan aware of it, although he you know, has been in the department, you know, for as long as I've been here, that he's obviously familiar with the organization. At that point, I was told that I was going to have a face-to-face uh, -face with him that Wednesday to discuss about the potential of going out there. And of course, it's it's a it's a volunteer deployment. So the time, is, it's on my time. I don't ask for administrative leave. The only thing that I did ask for was either to utilize vacation time or possibly having some fill or swaps, which I had a couple of people that owed me time and I would owe people time back. But yeah, we were going to discuss this in person on Wednesday. Well, that Monday night, I got the phone call from EVP that, hey, can you be ready in 24 hours and most likely to be leaving tomorrow night or Tuesday night? So it happened really quick. And 
you know, that's when, you know, reality started to, to set in a little bit. <laughs> I think my first thought was, Oh my god! I need converters for their for their AC, you know, for their electric. Like I don't like how am I going to plug my phone in or my CPAP? So immediately I started purchasing things on Amazon, getting it there by the next morning, and told my wife. I said, "Looks like I'm going to be getting deployed." And she even said to me, "She's like, oh, she goes, I know that they've said that in the past. You know, probably you know, you've probably be delayed or might not even go and so forth." I don't think she even realized the uh, the reality. So I needed to talk to Chief Golan. So that next morning, I came into the uh, to the station and went upstairs to administration and, and sat down with uh, with Chief Golan. I res- I had the utmost respect for for my fire chief. I know him on a, on a very personal level, having you know been with him his entire service. He started six months after um, I did in the department. We worked at the fire academy together. He was a director of the fire academy during my time uh, time there as well. So I've got to know him on a personal level. So this was, you know, obviously a um, a conversation that was both professional and personal. And he supported the idea 100%. His concern or biggest concern was my overall welfare. And it wasn't the safety issue. It was more, I think, about my mental issue in regards to making sure that I was mentally sound, that I was mentally prepared. and having complete an understanding of what potentially I'm getting involved with and what I could potentially come in contact with and how that's going to affect me. And ultimately I was able to persuade him to, uh, to allow me to, uh, to go. So we were supposed to leave that Tuesday. I believe that was the nine 10th. And then we got delayed two days. I finally flew out on Thursday, the 11th. So in a matter of a couple of days, I had everything packed up, my gear, you know, my uniforms, everything I'm going to need for a two-week deployment. Had a conversation, obviously, with my wife, had a conversation with my four children. Tough conversation to have. Again, I think they would have appreciated that conversation before I made the decision, even though that they probably wouldn't have swayed my decision, but at least to have given them that opportunity to, to let me hear what's on their mind because they range in ages from 12 to 25. So my two older children or really my three older children, 17, 21 and 25 have a pretty good understanding of what's going on. My 12 year old, to some extent he does, but you know, after discussing it with them, I think, you know, I felt comfortable in knowing that they knew enough of what was going on. They, they kind of understood what the risks that was, you know, that was involved. But nonetheless, I was I was going Thursday. The 12th flew out of Fort Lauderdale, headed uh, 12 hours later into uh, Ben Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv. Hey, hey, Jason, love that piece of the story so far. First of all, I want to say I love the love that you're giving to to Chief uh, Golan. I, I think that that's that's tremendous to see that that two way respect is is there and that you have such. Uh, confirmation and affirmation for your fire chief that's uh, leading your organization. So I think that that's cool. I just wanted to kind of put that out there. No, I appreciate it. And, it, you know, it's not fluff. I, I mean it from my heart. I've known, you know, I can say Steve or, or chief, whichever way. I, I do have the utmost respect for him. And he is a friend of mine. So it sometimes might be difficult to have that that fine line between personal and professional. But he's also, he says things 
and he means what he says. And, and so there is that mutual respect that we have uh, for each other. And it, and it definitely made this situation easier on, on, on me in order to go over there and do what I did, knowing that I had full support of, uh, of my department. And I want to build on that, Jason. Bob aptly pointed out that you just kind of sprinkled out there a little bit of a, a situation with you from a, from a health perspective that was significant. You even sprinkled in your equipment that you're taking over has to do with your personal well-being. And yet you set all of that aside, not to mention the absolute peril you put yourself in front of with your family. I know what that's all about, right? We could all appreciate that. But you you put that all aside and you went to a place to help others even in spite of the technical challenges, uh, although one might argue that the rolling of the hose, the quick connects, and some of these other things that Israel's doing in firefighting are pretty smart, and maybe we should be adapting more of it, right? But let's set that aside. Let's set that aside. Uh, but you went over there in light of all those differences, and in spite of all your own personal challenges to help another country in their time of need, Walk us through that decision-making process. Like, what was what was that fire like in your inside of you to to get to that point, in spite of so much kind of personal adversity and even professional adversity that you had to overcome? Sure, I could say that there's many different variables that went into that decision. I would say probably that the strongest feeling that I had towards making that decision was during the 9-11 attacks. I was a paramedic in New York City. And, you know, I'd gone through, obviously, surviving the attacks and in doing so, lost six close friends of mine, including two from our department, actually four from our department, two were uh, firefighters that day and two others were Port Authority police officers. But nonetheless, working down at ground zero over the next you know, on and off for the next three months, but specifically for the next two weeks, when we started having all the different USAR teams and assistance from not just within the United States, but throughout the country uh, or the world, uh, including representatives from Israel, as well as other countries that came to our aid in our time of need, I found it to be very comforting. I remember being in, uh, when we're down at ground zero, more for the recovery aspect of it. I remember being in one of the DMAT teams or the DMAT tents, and there were a couple teams from, one was from Israel and the other one was from, from France. And I remember just the comfort of just talking to them and the compassion that they showed towards us. And for a moment that it seemed like the world came together and it was extremely comforting knowing that because of the pain that I was going through inside, having known that six friends of mine were, were at that point lost. And I know other people felt the same. So when this all took place, it, it was a kind of like a no brainer. Cause I remember even we had Surfside a few years back in Miami, just North Miami, in which we had the building collapse. And it happened to be in a predominantly Jewish area. And I know that they had sent a team from Israel over to assist. I think there were there were special ops or engineers and so forth. So it's just amazing on how 
you know, forget about the religious aspect, forget about, you know, the, the political agendas and so forth. The fact when you are going through an incident, a major incident, and it becomes extremely personal for many, that knowing that people that you would never even think of to come to your aid takes a huge weight off your shoulders. And it's almost as if they share in the loss and share in the suffering that you're going through. And they try to somehow make that incident not as not as bad as, as what you're perceiving at that given moment. So that was kind of the reason why I wanted to go to Israel. Again, you know, I, I am Jewish. Obviously, I have, I'm not the most religious, but I have a very strong spiritual identity. And it's not about the, the Israelis per se as Jews. It's the Israelis as a country in the time of need during this you know, horrific incident that all these atrocities that were being committed on barbaric levels, I mean, beyond anything that we've ever seen or heard of in, in past incidents, you know, including wars, you know, World War I, World War II, and so forth. This is just on another level. And, you know, people have asked, you know, why did you go? And I simply showed them a page that I took a picture of uh, from one of the Israeli newspapers of, I think it's around 40 or 50 children ranging in age from, you know, months to 16, 17 years old. And I show them the picture and, and I even get choked up, <clears throat> you know, thinking about it because they're children. They're, you know, they're uh, <clears throat> the innocence and the pure of, uh, of our society. In a millisecond, they were taken away from families. And, and I couldn't imagine that ever happening to me or what I would do if that ever happened to me. So it, it just, it, again, it just reinforced, you know, my you know reasoning for wanting to go over there and to do whatever I could to to help them. And it, it wasn't a matter of wanting to go over there and get myself into harm's way. It wasn't a matter of being part of a rescue operation of some of, of sorts. It was just going over there, being there, and being able to contribute in whatever way that was necessary to alleviate some of that pain that they're going through, just like they did during 9-11. And that was, that was really my sole mission of, of going over there. Jason, I just want to say thank you for being vulnerable, sharing what must have been. I, I can't imagine how difficult that that was for you. And, you know, just just thank you for, for sharing that very, very personal piece of the story. Appreciate that. No, I, I appreciate you. And, and it's. Listen, we're, we're all human, or I, I like to think that most of us are, are human. We all have emotions. You know, there's things that that obviously tug at our heartstrings, and you know that was that was definitely the one thing that I looked at and and saw that was like just unmanageable uh, or unimaginable. I couldn't imagine that happening to me. I, I remember like even saying to my wife at one point. You know, like when I've taken my kids to the mall and my wife has always been, you know, you got to watch them, you got to watch them. They, they'll run on you in a second. And I remember that there was a couple times where, where they did and you had that immediate, you know, that that fear. And, and that was for like 10 seconds. 
until I saw them, you know, around the corner goofing around. But that, that sense of relief was there. There isn't that sense of relief. Not yet. And so what I was feeling for that split second, for those five or 10 seconds, has now been three weeks. And it's not getting any easier, I'm sure, for these, these families. This concludes part one of the story of Captain Friedman's deployment to Israel. Tune in next week to hear part two, where he shares his experience once the plane lands in Tel Aviv. A link to the Emergency Volunteer Project can be found in our show notes for anyone interested in learning more. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you have a question for the panel, please reach out to us at fireheadlines at wfca.com and let us know what's on your mind. We'll see you back here next week for more Fire Headlines. Mm-hmm.